0: 57, David. Thank you, Lewis. And we got a few extra minutes. A few extra minutes. I was wondering, you know, you didn't have as long of a first set, you know, so I thought we were gonna be in good shape here this morning. Good morning, everybody. Is everybody having a good weekend? Everybody here? Ready to worship God in spirit and truth, like we've been doing. The singing sounds good this morning. Amen. Amen. Lewis is hitting those high notes this morning. I don't know if there's any reasons or not. Um, I'm not sure, but maybe you're 70 now, and I'm thinking that maybe your voice is finally maturing. And I mean, so I'm just, I'm guessing that's probably why. And, uh, you know, I look on the screen behind me, and and I think about, you know, what it says. And it says, growing spiritually or dying spiritually. You know, and and, uh, over the last few weeks, I've been... uh, going over some different lessons. We looked at some of the, uh, the trouble maybe the church could potentially be in if things don't change. We talked about things that we could do to change and so that way we don't end up in that predicament. And then, you know, as we started looking over these last few weeks, looking at those lessons, we we're going to pick back up in our Second Peter series because Second Peter kind of goes hand in hand <clears throat> with the last three weeks and about the, 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 the importance of of making sure that we're growing spiritually so we're not dying spiritually. And so we're going to jump into 2 Peter this morning. So let's open up our Bibles. I'll have some passages on the screen behind me, but I'd like to follow you along in the hard copy of the Bible. Some of you I know like to use your phone, so open it up to 2 Peter because as you're turning there in the first in the first series in those first 8 weeks we looked at that 1 Peter, right? And Peter explains the the grace that Uh, The the effects that grace had on us as individuals and how we can recognize the changes in the lives of others because of God's grace. And so that was the predominant theme in 1 Peter was God's grace and how it works in the life of his children, of his, of Christians. And in the second letter, Peter deals with different issues because his own situation has changed. And what has changed? Well, historians tell us that Peter died in Rome in approximately 67 AD, is what tradition tells us. And he got caught up in the persecution of the Christians that was going on during the time of Emperor Nero. And and the persecution that was so widespread through the Roman government. And so we see that his situation had changed because... He had one more chance to write a letter, one more chance to leave his mark before his death. His untimely death happened in and around 67 AD, and so he writes this letter. It was kind of like the Apostle Paul when he got to 2 Timothy. one of the I think the last letter that he wrote, he wrote just before his untimely death. And so we look at this, and Peter... Peter had one last chance to speak to the brethren, one last chance to give a sermon, one last opportunity to teach them and to give some advice as he was guided by the Holy Spirit. And so this letter, uh, 2 Peter, contains his message to the church, not about grace. He addresses some other issues and some other things that are going on because he needs to make sure that he encourages them, that even though they're in the times of persecution, to continue to grow. To continue to do all that God has called us to do. And so as Christians, would you say it's a true statement that we're either growing spiritually or we're dying spiritually? What happens to a body of water when it stays uh, just dormant? It becomes stagnant. It becomes nasty. It becomes really unusable, right? And so we need to make sure that we're not like a body of water that uh, stays stagnant or becomes stagnant. We need to make sure that our faith is is constantly growing we understand that peter's teaching us here in second peter that when you look at the faith of any and all christians there's a process that needs to take place there's a journey that takes place there's a transformation that must take place you know we have elders in this congregation as well as deacons in this congregation amen and these men do a fine job serving this congregation But how did they get to become elders and deacons? How did they get to be in that uh, position? Because the congregation found them to be worthy men of those positions. They were worthy of those positions. Why? Because they continued to grow in their faith. And as they grew in their faith and their knowledge of the Word of God, the congregation recognized that growth and put those men in place for the betterment of the congregation, for the longevity of the congregation. And so Peter is trying to tell us, in Second Peter here this morning, that we need to make sure that there is a transformation taking place in our lives. And if there's not a transformation that's taking place in our lives, if you can't, if people can't tell the difference in us today than where we were when we first became Christian, if it was a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, maybe twenty-five years ago, there should be a difference, a transformation that has taken place. So let's jump right in. Second Peter, chapter one. Let's notice the first four verses, and let's see what it says. Second Peter, chapter one, verse one through four, uh, Yeah, chapter one, verse one through four. Simon Peter, a bondservant of, of the Apostle Jesus Christ. I love how he always opens many, many of his letters with Simon Peter, a bondservant. A bondservant, remember, it simply means somebody who's who just who just willfully, voluntarily gives their life over in service to another. No longer uh, desiring for their own will to be done, but for the will of God, the one they serve to be done. And so he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant of the Apostle Jesus Christ to those who have received faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything for life and godliness. When you look at verse 3 and you see that it says that his divine power has granted to us everything for life and godliness, what else do we need? Do we need a bunch of man-made traditions? Do we need a bunch of man-made rules? No. The Holy Spirit has given us all that we need. All we need to do, as I said in my Bible study this morning, when I asked the question, why is it important that we continuously continue to go through the Bible, the New Testament, in our uh, Sunday morning Bible studies? It's because that's how we're going to be judged. We're going to be judged by the New Testament. God has said the times of ignorance are over. And he sent his son to die on the cross. He's given us the complete revelation. He tells us how the story ends. We know that Jesus has already has the victory. The question is, do we want to tag along and, and be included in that victory? If we do, then when Jesus comes with his winnowing fork in the threshing floor to separate the wheat from the shaft, we have to ask ourselves, do you want to be the wheat or the shaft? Because the shaft is going to be going into the oven and be burnt up. And so we understand in verse 3, God has given us, granted to us, all that we need through the complete revelation of God. And he tells us as we go on here, through the true knowledge of of Jesus, who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You look at verse 4 and it says he has granted to us his precious, his magnificent promises. Brethren, you guys have heard me talk about faith before, amen? And you've heard me give you the definition of faith. And I've often said faith, real biblical faith is, is, is threefold. You have to come to the Word of God. you have to faith comes from hearing, hearing from the Word of God, Romans 10:17, right? But it doesn't end there. You have to hear the word to determine if you believe it. So it starts with hearing. Then it starts with trusting and then it starts and then, and then it ends with obedience. You have to trust in those great magnificent promises that he's talking about right here in verse four. And so verse 3 is telling us as we look at these and we break these verses down, verse three is telling us that humans can know God, only by the degree that God has revealed himself to us, has revealed himself to humanity. And why do I say that? Well, did God give the prophets when they came the whole story? No. Or did he give them little, little tidbits of information? He gave them tidbits of revelation, of prophecy to pass on to the Jews. And so that way they could look back. To see when prophecy would be fulfilled. And so we know that now we have the complete revelation of God. We know how the story ends. We know how the story began. We know that Jesus is the seed line. Jesus is the one that was going to come from the seed line, from the tribe of Judah, of the family of David. And for what purpose? To save mankind from their sins. And this was a plan that was put in place that's before the foundation of the world. And so for God, to, uh, and so for humans, we can only know God to the extent that he had revealed himself. For example, we can know that God is creative. We can know that he's powerful. We can know that he's wise just by looking at creation. But what we can't know through creation is that God doesn't reveal, creation doesn't reveal what God thinks. Creation doesn't uh, reveal what God wants from man. Creation doesn't reveal what the future will be or what the spiritual world will be like. And so we're limited in in, in what we can know from creation. We can see that there is a God through creation, that there is a designer because there's design in nature, but that's about the limit of what we can know. In order for us to know more about God, he has to reveal himself to mankind. And we have that revelation through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said he was going to send in John chapters 14 and in John chapter 16, for what purpose? So that, that way He could the Holy Spirit would remind the, uh, the, the early disciples, the early apostles, everything that God ever said and did. Everything that Jesus ever taught and everything that he ever did. And so the knowledge of these things is only available to the point or the extent that God reveals it. Well, what did it say in verse 3? You go back and you look at it. And what did it say in verse 3? Seeing that his divine power has what? Granted to us everything that we need that pertains to life and to godliness. Brethren, all the information that humanity needs to live a good and godly life, to be found acceptable in the eyes of Jesus Christ in the day of judgment, is contained in the New Testament. So when I ask you the question, why is it important that we study out the New Testament? Because it all begins and ends there. Because we're New Testament Christians. And so we don't follow the old law because we we didn't live under the old law. And the old law wasn't for us. It was only for the Jews. And so you look at this information. And as we continue on, brethren, true knowledge gives us access True knowledge of God and his revelation gives us access to godliness. It gives us access to a spiritual living a spiritual life. And that's why we said earlier that there needs to be a transformation that is taking place. As you read and as you study the word of God and as you become more knowledgeable in the word of God, you make sure you transform your life. In verses 5 through 11, Peter's going to describe as we continue on, he's going to describe what man's part is in knowing God. He's also going to describe how this affects our life and how it's going to affect our salvation. So Peter's going to explain that growth is a process. Well, what is a process? A process is a series of steps that build upon one another, amen? Amen. And so if it's a series of steps that build upon one another, should, there not, should we not see a growth transformation? Shouldn't a transformation be taking place in the lives of every child of God? Let's continue on now as we look at verses 5 through 7. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, notice what it says. Now for this very reason also, apply diligence, all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge... And in your knowledge, self control. And in your self control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, brotherly kindness. Or godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Peter tells us that the process of knowing God begins with what? Diligence. It begins with diligence, effort, commitment, resolve. Resolve and commitment to what? To the process. To the process of transforming our lives to become the type of man and woman that God has desired us to be. To become righteous and holy in his sight. That is the transformation process. That we are not, uh, we're not viewed as worldly but we're, we're viewed as godly. You've often heard me say that there's a reason why uh, non-Christians sometimes call Christians hypocrites. Because they don't see the Transformation. And the lives that they live many times contradict what they know that the the Bible calls them to how they're supposed to live. And so even the world knows there's supposed to be a transformation taking place. And Peter, this is his last opportunity before his death to encourage the brethren. and He's saying, brethren, you need to make sure that you're growing. Because if you're not growing spiritually, you're dying spiritually. I think Jesus said something about that. When you look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 16, and we're not going to turn there, you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I wish you were hot. I wish you were on fire for me and for the Father and for the kingdom and for the church. He says, But some of you are cold. He says, I wish you were hot. He says, But some of you are lukewarm. And so when you look at Revelation 3 and 6, he says, I wish you were either hot or I I wish you were cold. I wish you would either accept me with all your heart or I wish you would just reject me. He says, but some of you are lukewarm and you make me sick. Jesus literally utters those words. He says, I'm going to, it's like I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Is that, is that a visual, right? And it's, it's meant to be a visual, Because Jesus wants people who are all in. He doesn't want people who are only willing to worship him and follow him when it's convenient for them. You see, because he came and gave his life for us. And he expects something in return. Brethren, you cannot know God or be pleasing to God if you are only partially committed to the faith process. In In the book of Hebrews... In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Notice what it says on the screen behind me. And without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. How does he reward those who seek him? Through the the various blessings that we receive in our lives. And so on Sunday morning we offer, uh, we, we have the Lord's Supper it's Resurrection Sunday. We remember the death, burial, and resurrection. We partake of the Lord's Supper to remember that sacrifice. We give back to God through uh, through our contribution. But we say we, you know, many times we say, I hear people say all the time, "Oh, we give back a portion of what He has blessed us with." We don't have a thing on this planet that hasn't been blessed to us by God, because we use God's resources for every single thing that we have in this life. And so, brethren, we need to understand that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And after establishing the proper attitude, Christians should have Peter's lists. Peter's list of seven pairs of qualities that's going to make up the crux of this lesson to understand that we need to there's a process and that we need to pursue this process and that to understand to have a fuller knowledge of God to have a, 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 a inner peace, an inner peace and inner strength and inner joy it begins with making sure that we're diligent in going through the process of faith and so we understand that the first faith when you look at the screen behind me and you go back here and we looked at 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 and we look at verse 5 through 7 remember what it said there that applying all diligence the first pair is faith and moral excellence right the process begins with believing in god believing in what he says and this is this is naturally followed by doing what god says so a person's faith grows and is confirmed when he begins to live according to what he believes And that starts the process of having a diligence to the process, the transformation process of our faith and of our lives. The second pair is moral excellence and knowledge. And for a good and pure life, one needs to have knowledge. Not worldly knowledge, but knowledge of what God's word says. Knowledge of truth, so we can have moral excellence and knowledge. Brethren, this is not the generic knowledge of God. It's a different Greek word that is used here. Because this knowledge is, is, is based on information. But it's not just knowledge, it's wisdom. You know, I was hearing, uh, he said it, and I know this is probably strange. Christy's like, you never heard this? And, but Tom Ropp, when we were talking about knowledge and wisdom, he said something so profound, and I never heard of it, and she's laughing at me. He said, knowledge is knowing. And he's like, what is he going to say? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing you don't put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put it in a fruit salad. I never heard that before. And it blew my mind. I'm like, that's, that's awesome. And so it starts with knowledge, and then we gain wisdom as we grow in our faith. And so knowledge is information and wisdom. The knowledge of oneself. The knowledge of the world. And most importantly, the knowledge of God's word and his expectations. Peter is not only talking about the ability to just be a good person, but the ability to apply God's word in all situations of life. And that gets back to this morning when we were looking at our gospel, the gospel of Luke and the study of Luke. Jesus goes for 40 days into temptation. And what happens? The devil tempts him. And Jesus rebukes the temptation of the devil with what? The knowledge that he has of the word of God. And he rebukes the devil with his own word, his own teachings. The third pair that we look at goes from knowledge to self-control. You see, because brethren, a wise person becomes a cautious person. A knowledgeable person begins to understand the nature of the enemy. The nature of the enemy, the devil, and his strength. A knowledgeable person understands that controlling oneself is of utmost importance to our Christian faith. A knowledgeable person understands how important it is for a Christian to to control their tongue. Uh, uh, Knowledge is important in the life of a Christian who realizes that controlling one's thoughts is of utmost importance. Because what you do with the constant stream of thoughts that enter into your mind... Is going to determine whether it's going to poison your mind, poison your heart, or whether it's going to be beneficial to you and those around you. And so we get to determine the type of control that we have. And the surest way to main faith and the surest way to main moral excellence is to be in constant control of oneself, one's mind, one's tongue. You remember what it says in first, uh, or uh, not in first, but in James chapter 1 and verse 26. Those who cannot control their tongues, it says their their religion is worthless. Mm. Brethren, there's a reason for that because self-control is of utmost importance. And then I think of the fourth pair that we uh, have behind us. Self-control then leads to perseverance. And when you think about self-control and perseverance, once the ABCs of Christianity or the Christian's walk are learned... Meaning faith in God, holy living, knowledge, self-control. The key then is to continue in these things. To persevere in these things, right? Regardless of what life happens, or what happens in life. Regardless of what the medical diagnosis is. Regardless of what the financial situation is. Regardless of, of, of how the marriage is going. Regardless of how your children are acting out. You persevere in the faith. And in the transformation process that has been taking place. You see, because we're either growing spiritually or we're dying spiritually. And so, brethren, we continue to look at this. And we understand that many Christians in the past, the present, and the future, they're all going to learn about faith and how important faith is. And they are happy to get rid of sins that destroyed many of their lives to begin with. They love to learn about God, but there's a problem. It's kind of like the parable of the sowers. Some of them, a seed's going to fall along the roadside or on the rocky soil, and it's going to bring fruit, but then it's going to pass away quickly because there's no depth of roots. And so we understand that there are too many Christians who are going to accept the, the, the good things of Christianity, but when things get hard, when life gets hard, they're going to walk away from the church. They're going to walk away from the Lincoln Park congregation potentially and join one of these mega churches or join one of these denominational churches who offer a better experience but don't offer truth and don't offer accountability. Brethren, we need to understand that we're always going to be accountable to the word of God. And so when adversity, persecution, pain, and inconvenience come in this life and they're coming if they haven't done so already... We need to understand that many Christians will give up and fall away, but that's why we have to stick to the plan. We have to understand who we are in Christ, that our faith is a process, a process of steps that are supposed to build upon one another in order for the building up of all Christians, for the maturing of Christians, so that in the times of adversity, we may persevere. And there's a fifth pair in those verses. And that fifth pair is about perseverance and godliness. And when you look at this, brethren, the point here is the transformation process to become a new self. And that new self, that new creation, should be evident to all that come in contact with you. But only those who develop those uh, various qualities in Christian context will see the attributes appearing in their lives. For you wives who... Have a husband who's new to the faith. Can you see the changes that are happening? For you husbands who might have a, new, uh, might have a, a wife who's new to the faith. Can you see the changes that are happening? For you uh, uh, newer families who are babes in Christ. But your children are growing in Christ. Can you see the changes that are happening? Can you see how they're changing from worldliness to godliness? And so brethren it's similar to uh, this illustration that I found. And it's, it's in regards to like a spiritual liftoff, right? It's similar to a plane taking off on a runway. When a plane's taking off on a runway, the first thing it has to do is taxi. And then it finds its runway, and then it starts to move. But it's still on the ground. It hasn't had liftoff yet. And at a certain speed, however, the wheels begin to leave the ground, and then the plane enters into the atmosphere, and you have liftoff. In many ways, as Christians, as we begin our walk with Christ, we're pretty much like that plane. That we are starting to get some information, enough to kind of get us moving, but our faith hasn't, real, hasn't reached a point to where you're going to have spiritual liftoff. Because that comes with time and that comes with maturity in your faith. And so we need to keep growing and maturing and transforming our lives in that Christian process and that faith process to the point to where we get spiritual liftoff. And then when you get spiritual liftoff, you're going to hopefully start to have family members and friends recognize the changes that are taking place in your various lives. Brethren, we understand that godliness means to become more like God and less like natural man. Do you understand that? Godliness, righteousness, means becoming more like God and less like natural man who is worldly and worldly-centered. And so to be so to belong more to the church, you have to have a transformation. Otherwise, if you're still just taxiing on the ground, you still belong more to the world than you do to the church. Because in order to become, uh, as you grow and you mature in your faith, to receive that spiritual liftoff, It's going to take effort on your part. It's going to take effort to get spiritual lift off. And I just realized, man, I must be really wordy because I'm only like halfway through and there's like two minutes left in the hour. So we're going to shut this down being that it's a series of sermons through 2 Peter because i got a ways to go and I don't want anybody starting to nod off. You know, even though Paul got to preach to midnight, what a great, you know, benefit that must have been, right? Just keep on going. Keep on trucking. But we're going to shut it down because it's already, it's, it's almost that time, right? And I know we shouldn't be looking at a clock here in the church, but we know we have to keep it timely. And so if there's anybody that's here today and you need the prayers of the church, let us know how we can pray for you. If you are struggling in your faith journey, did you know we have shepherds in this congregation? Men who would love to sit down with you and talk with you about what struggles you may have in your faith that can help open up the scriptures to give you a deeper, more committed faith. Brethren, come forward this morning if you're struggling. Let us know what you're struggling with. We'll put a plan in place and we'll help you to get through those struggles. Because I'm here to tell you, if you're struggling in your faith, you're not alone. Most Christians are struggling in their faith, whether they like to admit it or not. Most of them aren't willing to ask for help, though. So if you need the help and you want the help, don't, don't put it off another day. Ask for help. And if you're here today and you need the prayers of the church uh, for, uh, for whatever other reason, please let us know. And if you're here today and you're not a child of God, but that's your desire, and you wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins, you wish to come forward to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, come forward and be baptized as we stand and sing the Song of invitation.